0: Um, here we are, a week before Easter. Okay, there's going to be lots of scripture in, in, in my what I share this morning, and then we're going to break bread at the end of it. But a week before Easter, where did the time go? It's just hurtling along. Now, I'm not big on keeping the church calendar, um, but I think there are times when, because we ignore the church calendar by and large, we don't quite have the opportunity to focus on things that other churches do. And uh, I don't want to become religious, but today is what's known as Palm Sunday in the church calendar. That's the day when it's remembered about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, that's the focus. And then this coming Friday is what's known as Good Friday, when we focus on, on Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And then next Sunday, of course, is Easter, it's Resurrection Day. And so all of those things are in the calendar. Now we are focusing on Easter. We can't do Good Friday because we don't have our own building. If we did have our own building, I'd be very inclined to have a morning a morning service where we could come and actually just take some time reflecting on, on the cross and, and what Jesus did. And so um, I, I just thought it would be good to reflect uh, for a while on the events of this week in Scripture running up to Easter Sunday, and they break bed together. And uh, the Bible reading is John 12, the one that will be on the screen is John 12, uh, verses 12 to 15, and then 27 to 32. There'll be other readings too um, that you'll need your Bibles for if you want to follow it, or you may just listen. The context of this is that uh, Jesus and the disciples had come to the house of Lazarus, uh, you remember Lazarus, Jesus raised him from the dead and uh, crowds had gathered when they heard that Jesus was there they'd come not only to see Jesus but to see Lazarus because this guy, he was dead, he's alive again so let's go and have a look at him, see if he looks the same that sort of stuff and uh, he was kind of the talk of the town and, so, and because of Lazarus, many people were turning to Jesus uh, and uh, chief priests were talking of how they could kill not only Jesus but Lazarus as well and, um, and then we get to verse 12. And it goes this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, "I do not be afraid, daughter's iron. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Then on to verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? This is Jesus speaking. Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and, and will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Just for a change, I've got four points, not three. Shock. Absolute shock. And... uh, There are these, the road to the cross, the great cost of the cross, the climax of the cross, and the result of the cross. Now the road to the cross, obviously the road to the cross for Jesus began with his birth in a stable. However, this week starts with this journey on a donkey. It's the beginning of a very direct road. Jesus set his face as flint. A very direct road that would end a few days later in death on the cross. Jesus was very aware of that. He was not looking forward to it. You need to know the cross did not come as a surprise to Jesus. He headed towards it. And he comes riding on a donkey and the crowds are there and they, they're recognizing him. He's he's the guy who's raised Lazarus from the dead. Some of them are turning to him, You are the the the, the Saviour, you are amazing. And they're counting Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're putting palm branches down for the donkey to walk on, and they're waving. It's a big celebration. Can you imagine the picture? And Hosanna, sort of thing we do when Raj walks in on a Sunday morning. We're all going, Wow, wow, Raj, amazing. It's it's that sort of well we don't, but you know what. I mean, it's that sort of thing and and it's, it's shocking actually it's shocking, here's a guy he's a carpenter's son, and they're saying Hosanna it's shocking the word Hosanna actually means, in Hebrew means save and it, it, it became like an exclamation of praise it's like saying, you are the saviour we praise you, save us it's all wrapped up in the word, Hosanna I find it interesting that the king of kings comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. It had been prophesied in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, in the Old Testament. He's coming riding on a donkey. I wonder, I wonder how our queen would do getting on a donkey. I should probably struggle a bit these days, but you know we do pomp and circumstance we do you know gold carriages we do all sorts of glittering crowns and and that's the sort that's how we picture kings and and royalty and and here's Jesus the supreme king the supreme king the one through whom and for whom everything was made and he comes riding on a donkey I just find that amazing. And it's worth taking a moment, I think, just to, to notice that actually everything Jesus did modelled humility. Sure, he's the king of kings, yet everything he did cuts across the values that we have in our world. We elevate special people. We're going for fame, we want to be famous, we want to be adored, we want to be pop stars, we want to be singers, we want to be famous, we want to be anything but riding on a donkey. How many people, can you see the TV program, can't you? It's donkey time. Can you imagine, come come and and sign up for this TV program, who's going to qualify to ride on a donkey? Nobody would come come and be anonymous come and be a servant nobody come because we live in a world that loves esteem it loves being significant and you know what we love to look at people like that and sort of do this flock to hear people like well, it used to be the beatles and the stones and uh, it's all weird now but it was weird then but but you know we we elevate people and we we go oh and why do we do that because secretly we want to be them Secretly, we want to be like them. We want to be famous. Well, here's the most famous one, cutting across all the values of our world. It starts in a stable. He's laid in an animal feeding trough, born to an unmarried mother. He grows up to be the friend of the outcasts and the sinners and the tax collectors. The prostitutes gets on his knees and starts washing feet. He looks at Jerusalem and he weeps. He comes riding in on the donkey. Here's the king. I mean, how would you feel? Here's the answer to everything, and he's riding on a donkey. I mean, it doesn't compute. It wouldn't compute in our brain. It didn't compute in theirs either, other than people were drawn to this wonderful man. He allowed himself to be beaten and to be ridiculed. He wore a crown of thorns. He was stripped naked, nailed to the cross, and made a public spectacle of as he hung there dying. That's the king. And all along the journey, he kept saying, and he still says to us today, follow me. That's the invitation to all of us. Come and follow me. Really? Yeah, come and follow me. Just before he's arrested, Jesus takes his disciples into the garden of Gethsemane and He asked them to sit there while he goes to pray. And then we read in Matthew 26, 37 to 39, he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and he he began to be sorrowful and troubled. It's getting very near now, the moment of crucifixion, the moment when he would be stripped naked and, and nailed there on public display. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death this, this, is, this is no easy thing this is terrible he says stay here and keep watch with me and then going a little further he fell with his face to the ground and he prays my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me he doesn't want to do this he doesn't want to do this, this. Why would anybody want to go through that? If it's possible, may it be taken from me yet, not as I will, but, but your will must be done. Let's be very clear that the road Jesus took to the cross was a road of dread, a road of suffering, a road of ridicule, betrayal, and extreme pain. Yet he chose to walk it Because it was the will of the Father. You see, it was the will of the Father because it is the only way. It was the only way that you and I, it's the only way that all humanity could be saved. There wasn't an alternative. This is the only way. That's why we say there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to God and that's through Jesus Christ. Why? Because there was only ever one way. For sin to be dealt with. This is the father's will. Not because he's looking, I want to really hurt my son. No, no, he loves his son, but he so loves the world. He so loves the world that the only way the world will ever be saved, the only way Satan will ever be destroyed, the only way, the only way we can be made sons of God is through somebody, somebody perfect dying in our place. There's only one perfect one. His name's Jesus. The only way was set before Jesus. Who hey, oh are Jesus? This is the only way. It's the only way all of these people, all your friends, it's the only way this world can be saved. This is the only way Satan will be defeated forever. What a moment. We read in our first reading, he says, now is the time for judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up, he's talking about me lifting up on the cross. He said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, okay, will draw all people to myself. This is the only way. we come to my second point, the great cost of the cross. I'm going to read to you Mark the story, actually, of the cross. Mark 15, 21 to 39. I thought we were trying to, to just summarize it, but I'll just read it to you. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Jesus had been arrested and beaten and crown of thorns placed on his head, and they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others. They said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ this king of Israel come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The sixth hour darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud, a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down, comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. On his way to the place of crucifixion, Jesus was so weak that he had to get someone else to carry the cross. Normally people carried their own cross to their crucifixion, but Jesus had been subject to beatings, to ridicule, to torture. He was so weak. When when they got to Golgotha, Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh. This was a drug to help dull the pain, but Jesus refused it. He wanted to be wide awake while he hung on the cross. He didn't want to bear the sins of the world while asleep or drugged. He wanted to face it full on for you and for me. There is great shame and embarrassment attached to any crucifixion. It's no different for Jesus. He was very aware of the shame. He was very aware of the ridicule. All the people standing around, most of them laughing. Some out loud, some inside. Ha! It's the end of him then. He watched as the soldiers gambled over who should have his clothes. This perfect Son of God was crucified alongside two hardened criminals. He was being associated with the worst of the worst. We can only try and imagine the indignity, the pain and the suffering and the rejection that Jesus experienced. Yet he never complained. Pure love for you and I and pure love for the Father kept him there. We need to understand that at any point Jesus could have said enough and he would have come down. We need to understand that. There's a song that says that he could have called 10,000 angels to come down and set him free. Could have but he didn't. And the climax of the cross All that journey, even to the point of hanging on the cross, seems this was only like preparation of what I call the high point of the cross because it was now that darkness came. It's midday. It's midday, and yet for three hours it says it all went dark. Not just a bit cloudy, but dark. Amos 8-9 says, In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. We need to understand, this wasn't just another guy on the cross. This is the Son of God on the cross. And at noon, it goes dark. And it isn't just a blip, it goes totally dark for three hours. Wow. What is going on? It's as though the very universe was frowning on Jesus as the Father abandons him and withdraws fellowship from him. We don't understand the relationship between God and his creation. We don't understand it all. But if for one moment God took his finger off it, it would all fall apart. I know we're looking for Higgs boson particles and all sorts of things to try and give things mass, to try and make things cohesive. And I love all of that explanation and exploration and all of It's fascinating stuff. But you need to understand it's all sustained by his powerful word. Everything that exists is sustained by our God. And if you Chose, took his hand off it for one second it would all fall apart and so he turns away, the father turns away from his son for the first time in all, all, of, uh, all of eternity and the sun goes out it's dark it's totally dark can you imagine being one of the people looking again? It's, it's lunchtime and it's dark. I mean, can you imagine? It's like, get your head around that then. And during these three hours, Jesus is suffering this intense, intense pain. He's, he's carrying the sin of all mankind. The Bible says he is... he. He be, he is made sin. What it means is that all of your sin and all of my sin and all of the sin of all humanity and all of history, past, present, and future, is put upon this perfect Son of God, and he becomes utterly revolting to the Father. He becomes unacceptable to the Father. He is made sin. He is carrying all the sin, your sin, my sin, everybody's sin. Horrendous. Horrendous. He becomes an offense to God. And then eventually as he approaches death, he cries out. Because as he hung there, he experienced something that he he was not prepared for. You see, we think God knew it all, past, present, future, it was all going to happen. But here, here's the Son of God who's been in this relationship with the Father. He, he's never broken that relationship. Yes, he had to learn it in his humanity and understand it was there. But then, in his humanity, never before in all of the universe and all of eternity, there, there's the Son of God. And now, total, totally cut off. Totally cut off from the Father. Father rejects him. And he cries out, "My God, you've you've forsaken me! What's this? I don't understand." I guess some standing, standing there were hoping for a last-minute miracle. Here come the angels, perhaps. But they did not really understand that what was going on was the greatest miracle there has ever been. This was the miracle. As Jesus surrendered his life to his father and died. It's the greatest miracle. It's the miracle of the cross. It's the greatest miracle. Because the cross changes absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. And we come to the result of the cross. Jesus died when it was complete. What it says, he gave up his spirit. He actually chose his moment of death. He didn't. He didn't just you know, he said he, he said, I, I've done it now. He gave up his spirit. He died. And we find that at that point, Jesus died, immediately two things happened. The first is that the temple, in the temple there was a curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the building. It was the inner place. The, priest, the high priest could go in there once a year. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was. Would, would have been. In, and, and they could only go in once a year. Okay? This was where God was. And there was a big curtain that separated it so nobody else could go in there. So people say, where's God? Well, he's behind the curtain. He's he's in there, but you're not allowed. Even when the high priest used to go in, they used to tie a rope to him in case he he wasn't good enough and died and he had to drag drag out his body. That's like, wow. Hallelujah. So people came to the temple and they worshipped God through sacrifice and everything else, but they never came to God himself because God was just the other side of that curtain. So what happens? Jesus dies and immediately, notice from top to bottom, not bottom to top, but from heaven, the curtain is torn in two. And the way to God is is wide open. Now there's no barrier, there's no curtain. Now we can all come in and know a relationship with the Father. That's huge. That's fantastic. That's the best news you'll ever hear. You don't have to go through ceremony. You don't have to do animal sacrifices. You don't have to do anything because the perfect sacrifice has just been made and the door to God is wide open. Hallelujah. That's why. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, remember I read this last week. He says, I... I came to you, when I came to you I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because that's the gospel. That is the gospel. It's fine saying God loves you. Yeah? Okay. But people need to know about Jesus. They need to know about the Son of God. The need to hear the word Jesus. People use the word, I came to God. People talk about God. Very few people talk about Jesus. I wonder why. It's as though the word Jesus gets stuck on people's lips. And they talk about, I've got a relationship with God. No, our relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we proclaim Christ. We proclaim the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. The curtain is torn from top to bottom. The way to God is wide open to all. And through his blood, the sin which separated us from God is dealt with forever. Through him we all have access now to a deep relationship with God as our Father. Through Jesus we become children of God. And it's all because of the cross. It's about the cross not much else to talk about really except the cross talk about the cross people get saved there was another thing happened as Jesus died and I find this gives us such hope this Roman centurion standing nearby immediately comes to faith He's there. He's looking. And his first response is, Jesus said, Surely this was the Son of God. He saw. He saw the truth. He understood just like that, that. Wow. An amazing testimony. This Gentile soldier, he comes to know Jesus as he watches him down on the cross. He, he watches the whole thing and goes, Oh, my Savior. My Lord. Isn't that an encouragement? You see, the cross was a despised and cruel instrument of of execution. It it could be a stumbling block to faith, couldn't it? We talk about the cross and people think, that's gory, you don't want to talk about that. No, 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 no. we do want to talk about that. We want to talk about that more and more and more because, you know, why would the Son of God die in such a way? Well, you know why? Because that's the only way we could be saved. There were loads of people who were blind and couldn't see the truth, yet this pagan soldier came to instant faith. The word of God works, the cross of Jesus Christ works, the proclamation of the gospel works. Why am I passionate about preaching? Because through the pr- foolishness of preaching, people will be saved. You can discuss, you can argue, you can debate, all the night You know what? You proclaim Christ and people will get saved. That's what happened to this soldier. He saw... He heard, he understood, he came to faith. Why? Because Jesus was lifted up. He said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. When the cross is lifted up, people will start coming to faith. Despite its disgrace and its shame, they will see that there the Son of God paid the price for their sin. And you see on the cross... And this is why our enemy hates us preaching about the cross. This is, this is why people struggle preaching about the cross. This is why people say, talk about a God of love, don't talk about retribution, don't talk about the work of the cross. No, no, you need the cross, else there's nothing. But the reason people are put off it, the reason people's mind get stewed, is that we have an enemy who hates the cross. Because it was at the cross he was legally defeated once and for all time. And if he can persuade people that that's irrelevant, then he thinks he might have a chance. Well, he hasn't got a chance. He is defeated. The blood of Jesus was shed, and he is a defeated foe. But we need to proclaim it. Now the prince of this world was cast down, or was driven out. Hallelujah. So the cross still stands at the pivot point of human history. It towers over all of history. The cross is the place of rescue and salvation for the whole world. All we will ever need, the love, the forgiveness, the grace, is found at the cross of Jesus. So we proclaim Christ and him crucified. And as we see next Sunday, and risen, and then ascended, he conquered death but I didn't want to go there this week. I wanted to focus on the cross because we bypass it so quickly. Jesus is lifted up. Praise his glorious name. I'm going to play you a song right now.